You'd think that extra hour would have got me up here a little faster, but no, it just made things worse for me, really. So I like that extra hour, but um, yeah, never mind. We're going to move in, uh, just get into the Word today. So let's turn together our Bibles to uh, Peter's first letter, Peter's first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read verses 3, uh, sorry, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. And when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is, The Grace of the New Birth. The Grace of the New Birth. In 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, Peter says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And you may be seated. So today we're going to go back to a series that I started several months ago. And in this series, we were walking through Peter's first letter and learning about the true grace of God. In today's passage, Peter teaches us three things God gives us through the grace of the new birth. And the reason we want to talk about the true grace of God is because there's so much false grace in the world today. People don't know anything about grace, really. Uh, it's a sad thing, but the stuff that's being pumped out into um, songs that people write, the preachers that preach, they don't have any clue what the true grace of God is. So we got to talk about the true grace of God. And Peter wrote his letter just for that purpose, so we could teach us that this is the true grace of God. That's what we're talking about there. We're talking about the grace of the new birth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word to us, and we ask you to illuminate our minds to understand the truth and give us both the will and the ability to obey the truth, to put the truth into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first truth Peter teaches us about the grace of the new birth is, through God's grace, we're born again into a living hope. The second part of verse 3, Peter says, in his great mercy, sorry, God in his great, in his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The, the scriptures describe God as the God of all mercy. God, and because God is merciful, he gives us what we don't deserve, and he does for us what we cannot do ourselves. And that doesn't mean we don't cooperate with God. It just means he gives us the ability to do things we cannot do for ourselves. That's what his mercy is. Now, Peter says it's through God's mercy that God has given us new birth into a living hope. But what does it mean that God has given us new birth? Well, it means we who were once children of the devil can now become children of God. Because God is merciful, he gives all of us the chance to leave one life behind and to live a brand new life in Christ. Through the new birth, God's grace changes our identity and changes our nature. Through the grace of the new birth, we're no longer sons and daughters of Satan. And instead, we become sons and daughters of the living God. Through the grace of the new birth, we become part of the new creation in Christ. And what this means is, in Christ, that old person we were is dead. That drug addict alcoholic, that liar, that thief, the fornicator, that wicked person we were outside of Christ no longer lives. Instead, as Paul tells us, Christ lives in us. 
And the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us so that we could be completely changed. So when we become children of God, we're infused with the supernatural life and divine power of God through which he empowers us to live as a new creation in Christ. Through the grace of the new birth, we now live as God's sons and daughters. We now live daily in the hope of becoming more and more like Jesus in this life, and we live in the hope of sharing in his glory in the life to come. But this is not automatic for any of us. This is something we've all got to work toward. As Paul says, who hopes for something they already have? See, we have the hope of the things that are coming. The goal of our life in Christ is not to seek out some experience where we instantaneously become perfectly like Christ. I know maybe sometimes I, I, the way I talk is maybe sounds that way. A lot of people seem to be that way. It's like this triumphalism that once you come to Christ, everything is, is perfect, you're great, and you can just move on with your life now. But that's not what the Scriptures teach. That's not the experience of any saints that have come up uh, before us. Now, our goal is not to just have one experience become perfectly like Christ. Our goal now is to keep putting off every part of the old humanity that clings to us and keep putting on the Lord Jesus and every part of the new humanity until everything about us matches our new identity in Christ. And we do all of that through God's grace at work within us. In other words, again, it's not automatic. There's things you got to deal with. So when we tell people that it's instantaneous, everything goes away, then they got struggles with things like, wait a minute, this Christianity stuff doesn't work. You know, I was miraculously delivered from alcohol. The Lord took it away from me. I didn't have a desire for it. But does God do that for everybody? He doesn't. I used to say he did, but he doesn't. I meet people all the time. I still, oh, this alcohol, alcohol. It's not the same for everybody. So we got to be careful when we tell our stories to people that we make sure that we say, yeah, God has power to do that, but he might not take that from you. So you might say, well, why would he leave it for one person and take it away from another? Well, one thing I'll say is I'm not God, so I don't know all the answers to that question, but I do know he leaves things in our lives to test us, to try our faith, to make us more faithful to him. So that person who, can, who still has it in their life, they can overcome it. I couldn't overcome it, so the Lord takes it, takes it away from me. He leaves the things in our, in our lives that we can overcome to perfect our faith. The things we cannot overcome, he'll take it from us. And that's what it means when Paul said that we're, we, we, uh, we'll never be tempted beyond what we can bear. See, if you're tempted by something in your life, then the Lord knows you can bear it, right? You can't bear it alone. You can bear it with his grace. If he takes it from you, he knows you couldn't bear it, so it's gone. You don't, you don't have to deal with that anymore. But again, it doesn't happen for everybody the same way. So we do work towards getting all the old things in our life out of our life and becoming a new creation in Christ, becoming what he wants us to be through God's grace at work within us. Through God's grace, we're born again into a living hope. And the second truth Peter teaches us about the grace of the new birth is, through God's grace, we're born again into a heavenly inheritance. First Peter 1.4, Peter says, God has given us new birth into an inheritance kept in heaven for you. Now, this does not mean that heaven is our inheritance. Our inheritance is not to float around on clouds and play harps and all these. It's not what it is. Uh, the reason people, the devil puts that kind of stuff in people's mind because it's really not a reality. You know, he wants us to believe in non-reality. But the reality is, Jesus said the meek will inherit what? The earth, right? It's going to be a renewed earth, but it's still the earth. We're not going to inherit heaven. We're going to inherit the earth. Heaven will come to earth, and everybody will live on earth. So heaven is not our inheritance. Instead, our inheritance is kept in heaven for us. In other words, heaven is like the bank or safe deposit box where our inheritance has been deposited. And the Lord is guarding that for us. 
And what is this inheritance? What is this thing or what, what is it that's being kept for us in heaven? Well, put very simply, our inheritance is eternal life in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what it is on a new earth. And this inheritance includes every promise God gives us in Christ. Every promise that God gives us in Christ. And notice in 1 Peter 1.4, Peter says three things about this inheritance. He says it's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Now those three words, perish, spoil, and fade, have to do with things of this life. In other words, the best the world can do for us, the best the world has to offer us is only perishing, spoiling, and fading. So no matter, no matter what we gain in this life, no matter what worldly thing we gain, no matter how new our car is, our house is, or any other material possessions, no matter how new they may be, well, as soon as we get those things, they've already started to perish, spoil, and fade. And that's why when you buy a new car and you drive it off the lot, it's worth $10,000 less than when you just bought it because it's already started to perish, spoil, and fade. And no matter how good we all look, and you all do look good, I tell you, you look good, looking good. No matter how good we look, no matter, <laughs> no matter what we do to try to stop, I talked about this last week too, no matter what we try, how we try to stop it, all of our bodies are perishing, spoiling, and fading, right? And, you know, the, I, I know doctors, medicine, stuff, they can try to stop that just a little bit, but it's, it's just it's, we're fighting a losing battle. It's uh, spoiling, fading, and perishing. doesn't matter what we do. Paul said that our outward man is fading away, but our inward man is being renewed day after day. And it's the same with everything else in this world. It's all perishing, spoiling, and fading. But our heavenly inheritance can never perish, spoil, or fade. So what this means for us is we've got to get our eyes off this world, off of what's temporary, and focus what's on eternal. Let's spend our energy acquiring treasures that never spoil, perish, or fade. And the only treasures that will never perish, spoil, or fade are the treasures that we store up in heaven. The only things we've done for Christ and his kingdom in this world will follow us into the world to come. And nothing we could gain in this world can, can compare to the inheritance God has prepared for those who love him. So when we're born again, we're born again into the hope of a heavenly inheritance. And then Peter goes on to talk about the most important part of our heavenly inheritance and that brings us to the third and final truth Peter teaches us about the grace of the new birth. Through God's grace, we're born again into a ready salvation. Now, 1 Peter 1.5, Peter says we're born again for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So although our salvation begins in the waters of baptism, that salvation will not be completed until the coming of Christ. And there are aspects of our salvation that have not yet been revealed to us. Peter says they're ready to be revealed. And in 1 Peter 1, 5, Peter says this salvation will be revealed to us who through faith are shielded by God's power. Now, here's so many people read this verse out of context or misunderstand this verse. And they say that our inheritance is kept by God and our salvation is guarded by God's power. And so they interpret Peter to be saying our salvation is secure no matter what we do. But what they fail to notice is Peter says our inheritance is kept in heaven and we're being shielded by God's power. And then he tells us how we're being shielded by God's power. He says it's through faith. 
So let me say this. We do have a guaranteed inheritance. We do have a secure salvation. We should have confidence that God's power, God's grace will shield us until we reach the fullness of our salvation. That is an awesome promise. That is great stuff, right? But we can only have that confidence if, if we have an ongoing faith in the Lord Jesus. In other words, those who do not have an ongoing faith cannot claim this promise that true saving faith is more than mental assent to some facts about Jesus. It's much more than simply knowing what the Bible says about Jesus. Saving faith is always an ongoing, obedient faith. It's a faith that drives us to obey the commands of Christ Jesus through the grace of God, the powerful grace of God at work in us through the Holy Spirit. You know, knowing and believing good theology is very important. But good theology is worse than useless if it does not produce good works. James tells us that the demons know and believe good theology. Even the demons believe there's one God and they know Jesus is God's son. And they shudder about these things that they know about, about the Lord Jesus and about his father. See, belief in one God and that Jesus is God's son, that's good theology. We all need to believe those things. But simply believing good theology cannot save anyone. Why? Because good theology without good works is dead by itself. Dead by itself. True faith produces good works. Saving faith produces good works. And if we don't have good works to go along with our faith, we will not be saved. In other words, faith alone cannot save anyone. I'm going to say this again because you're going to go out here today. You'll probably hear somebody on the radio say, we're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. You guys hear people say that, right? Somebody show me that in the Bible when we leave out of here today. I want somebody, if you show it to me, if you believe it, show it to me because it's not in the Bible anyway. Instead, what the Bible tells us is we're not saved by faith alone. That's James said that, right? James said that. No matter how many misguided ministers say that faith alone saves us, it certainly does not. Faith without works cannot save anyone. James says we're not saved by faith alone. He says faith without works is dead and cannot save anyone. So when Peter says that we're shielded by God's power through faith, well, he's talking about an active faith, the kind of faith that produces the good works God created us to do in Christ. And that most famous passage that everybody quotes that, where Paul says you're saved by grace through faith, not, not of yourselves, is the gift of God. The next verses after that say, we're saved for good works that God created us to do in Christ. So faith without those good works is worse than useless. You will not be saved unless you're doing those works through God's grace. That's the kind of faith that Abraham had. It's a faith that you can see, one that's accompanied by obedience. And Peter says who, those who have that kind of faith can be confident. We have an inheritance kept for us in heaven and that we're being shielded by God's power, guarded by God's grace, until our coming salvation is revealed. And this truth is especially encouraging to an audience who were suffering for living as foreigners in this world. Now, although persecution will keep coming to God's people, it's going to get worse, especially for us, and America's going to go real bad here soon. God promises to keep his people through his great power until we receive the salvation that's ready to be revealed. If we'll only continue in the faith, continue trusting God, continue obeying God through the power of his grace at work within us. Now, what does Peter mean when he says our salvation is coming and ready to be revealed? Didn't Jesus already bring salvation when he came the first time? Didn't he do that? 
It was so important that we understand this. The scriptures speak of our salvation in three phases. And the first phase is what Paul describes in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So the first phase of our salvation is past tense. We have been saved by grace through faith as a gift from God. And this phase of our salvation, it occurs when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, turn from our sins, and are baptized in water. And it's in this phase that our past is erased. We're born again and we begin a new life. And if we've done those things, then we can say we have been saved. But that's not the end of it. And so, so many people stop there. They run around and say, hey, have you been saved? And people say, yeah, I did this. I did those things. I'm good. I'm saved. Well, we can't stop there. There's a second phase of salvation. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we who have been saved through the new birth are also being saved. It's continuous tense. And what does that mean? Well, this is where we're talking about sanctification. It means God's grace at work in us, conforming us to the image of his Son as we walk in the Holy Spirit. In this phase of salvation, it's all about an ongoing relationship with the Lord Jesus. A relationship where we daily take up our cross, our own cross, and follow Jesus. And become like him in his sufferings as we obey his commandments. As long as we're in that kind of relationship with Jesus, we are being saved. And if we stay in that kind of relationship with Jesus, we will enter the third phase of salvation we will be saved. And this is what Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, verses 10 through 13. He's talking about a time that's much nearer now than when he spoke these words. Jesus says, At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. See, Jesus is describing a time that's headed toward us very quickly. Many false prophets are out here in the world today deceiving people in many ways. But like the false prophets of old, they always prophesy about God's blessing. Don't tell us any, any of that judgment stuff. We don't hear that. Tell us about God's blessing. That's what the false prophets did. They claim God is always about to do some big thing where he brings blessings on his people and converts the whole world in an instant or some such thing. And this is all going to happen before the Lord returns or uh, after some secret rapture. This is what we're being told today, right? But Jesus tells us a much different story. Jesus says the closer we get to his return, the more and more people will turn away from the faith. The more and more people will betray each other and hate each other. And this is talking about people who are Christians. You hate each other, you betray each other because you don't want to face the persecution that comes with following Christ. And the love of most will grow cold. Notice that word. He said most. The love of most will grow cold. That's like most people aren't going to be uh, following Christ anymore. That's what he's saying. Their love for God is going to grow cold. Their love for one another is going to grow cold. And that's what we see all around us right now. We are the church of Laodicea. That's where we are, right? We say that we're rich, but we're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We don't see what's going on around us, right? The world is going to hell in a handbasket, and we're on a cruise liner sailing into heaven. That's not what we're here for. That's not what we're here for. We're here to call people to repentance, to come into the kingdom of God, to come where you can have true life and not get mixed up in the things of the world, right? 
I'm sorry to say it that way, and again, I speak to myself. We're so worldly that we have no effect on the world around us. We've let the world into the church, and the, and the world is winning, right? So we need to get the world out of the church and start to become what the church is supposed to be. As the world grows ever colder to the things of God around us, as many turn away from the faith and hate us and persecute us, we cannot allow our love for Jesus to grow cold. We've got to get away from our lukewarmness because if we're lukewarm, what did Jesus say he would do to us? What's he going to do? Spit us out of his mouth, right? Spit us out of his body. Get out of my church. I don't want you here. That's what Jesus is saying at the end, right? I don't want you here. Does that sound like we're going to be in heaven? Does it sound like he spits us out of his mouth? Oh, going up to heaven. You guys got it. I don't want you in my body here. I'll take you off. And people teach nonsense like this, right? What Jesus is really talking about is, is the people that are lukewarm. He spits them out and then they go to heaven and he deals with them there. Come on, man. No, he spits them out because they're not a part of his body anymore. We've got to stay attached to the vine to have eternal life. We've got to stay attached to Christ's body. And we cannot allow ourselves to lose our faith in Christ when the things that are happening in the world now are when which are coming. And this is just a sad thing for me is I can just see it everywhere. I, I feel it. I don't usually use the word feel, but there's something about this right here. I feel that there's things that are going to go real south in America in a hurry. I don't put, I don't put dates on anything because that's ridiculous. I can't put a date on it. But you can just see it. If you have spiritual eyes to see, you can see everywhere. The devil runs America, right? She knows the devil. And I'm not talking about Joe Biden. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about somebody much higher than that, much higher than that. Joe Biden is only a puppet of Satan. That's all he is, right? Right? So the rulers of this world are not really the people you see. It's the principalities and the powers that have control. This is the world of the devil. The devil owns the world, basically, right, right now. At least Jesus gives him the, the opportunity to do it, to deceive as many people as he can. That's what he's doing right now. But we got to make sure we know the truth and come into the truth and understand the truth and get our eyes off the world so that when all this stuff goes south, when people start to really hate each other and they start persecuting us and we start being killed like they were in the early church, we need to make sure that we're ready for that. We can't turn our back on the Lord. We can't lose our faith in Jesus. We must continue to love Jesus. We must continue to obey Jesus until the end. And what a shame it would be for us to spend our entire lives thinking that we love Jesus or trying to worship Jesus and then come to the end and say, he say, I never knew you. Get away from me. I don't know you. None of us want that, right? So how do we avoid that? We do it by holding on to the faith, trusting in Christ, obeying his commandments no matter what the world does to us. And if we remain in that kind of relationship with Jesus until the end, then we will be saved. So we are saved, we're being saved, we will be saved if we endure to the end. And it's this aspect of salvation Peter has in mind in 1 Peter 1.5. We're waiting for that last phase of salvation to be revealed. And Peter tells us what this salvation, he sa tells us what this salvation is. He says the end result of our faith that endures until the end is the salvation of your souls. Now, what do you think about when you hear the word soul? Most of us probably think about our inner life, something you can't see. It's not, you know, this is your soul, it's a soulish thing. We say stuff like that. But the word soul is from a Greek word that means our whole person, our whole being. So Peter's saying the goal of our faith is for our whole being to be saved, every part of us. And it's that phase of salvation, Peter says, is ready, but it's not, it's not come yet. We're just waiting for it to be revealed in the last time. And what is keeping it from being revealed is the Lord's mercy, right? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why he hasn't come back yet. He wants everybody to turn from their sins and be saved, to come a part of his church, to become like him. 
See, we're waiting for what John talks about in 1 John 3, 2 through 4. He says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then here's the most important thing. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So many people tell you that God looks at you and says, you're just pure white like Jesus. You hear people say that? All he sees is Jesus when he looks at you. Well, if, if all he sees is Jesus when he looks at me, why do I have to purify myself so I become pure as he is pure? It's because he doesn't see Jesus when he looks at me. He sees somebody who's becoming like Jesus if I do the things he tells me to do, right? We have to purify ourselves just as Jesus is pure. So what that means is me and you should look like Jesus, right? Not that Jesus did it all and we don't have to do anything. No, Jesus gave us an example to live in this, and walk in the steps that he walked in. And we can do that by God's grace. So we all have this hope. We're waiting for the hope of uh, when, when Jesus is revealed and we become like him. But we got to purify ourselves in the meantime. And that brings us back to our living hope, what we talked about earlier, the hope of the resurrection. See, we're waiting for the day when every part of our being will be saved. When every part of us will be completely conformed to the image and likeness of God's Son. When every part of us is like Jesus. We're waiting for the day when every trace of sin, every trace of corruption, every trace of death is removed from us and this world once and for all. Through the grace of the new birth, we're born again into the hope that every part of us will be fully and completely saved. And we who have been born again, we who are being made like Jesus in this world, we who are purifying ourselves with the means of grace, through prayer, through fasting, fellowship, his word, all these different things he gives us, but we have the hope of being like him when he comes. And until then, we live by faith. And what that means is we strive through God's powerful grace to purify ourselves, just as Jesus is pure. And I got to believe that we can become pure as Jesus is pure, or God wouldn't tell us to do that, would he? Can't do it on our own, but definitely through the grace of God, we can become like Jesus. We keep obeying the Lord Jesus no matter what we face in this world for doing so. And if we keep looking forward to the salvation of every part of our being, through God's grace, we're born again into a ready salvation. That salvation is going to be revealed if we endure to the end. So as we close, we've seen today that because of his great mercy, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has given us new birth into a new birth through his grace. And we've seen three things we're born again into. We're born again into a living hope. We're born again into a heavenly inheritance, and we're born again into a ready salvation. And those are some tremendous promises, some tremendous things we have to look forward to. But those promises are only for those who've been born again, who are living by the grace God gives us to become more and more like Jesus. Only we can claim those promises. So I want to close by asking this question. Have you received the grace of the new birth? Well, if not, then I want you to come see me after the service, and I'm going to tell you what to do next. How do you receive the grace of the new birth? How do you do that? If you have received the grace of the new birth, if you've been born again, you've been saved, are you being saved? What that means is are you daily becoming more and more like Jesus, getting rid of sin, coming, uh, coming to Christ and confessing sin, uh, becoming what he wants you to be? Are you doing that? See, if you think you're saved based on something you did in the past, it's not going to work for you. If you're not being saved, you will not be saved. Does that make sense? We got to make sure we're doing the things that, that produce the fruit of God in us, the fruit of Christ, the, 
the fruits of holiness. We can only do that through his grace. So if you have been saved, are you being saved? And if you're not, then today's the day to repent. Turn from the stuff that's in your life that God doesn't want there. Ask him. He'll show it to you. Say, this is not, I don't want this here. I don't want this here. So when we come, when, when they sing this song, I'm going to ask you to come forward and uh, ask you to confess your sins to one another. That's what the scripture says. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Pray for one another and so that you can be healed, right? The prayer of faith saves, uh, saves sick people, saves you from the sickness of sin. So if you have been saved, are you being saved? And if not, come forward and, and get that right today. Ask the Lord to forgive you. He promises he will. And um, just move on with your life. And if we do all those things again, we will be saved in the future. Our hope is something that's coming later on. Our hope is not in this world. We've lost our focus on the things that are to come. Let's get our focus back on that.